This is Robbie Snelling, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. I only want a friend who stayed to the end. What do I get? What do I get? Oh, what do I get? Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast, episode 223. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Oh, man. So Juan Soto's gone, and Otani's claimed. <laughs> what do Lee's I son. get? Yeah, what do Padres fans get? What the Padres fans get, I, you know, we just talked about it right before we got on. Um, we're so used to these big splashy moves, having, you know, having an owner talk about being able to spend money and, and it's reckless if we don't spend money um, forward to now where, you know, even before uh, Peter Seidler's passed, there was already talk of the payroll being significantly lower. Um and so, you know, the, this is the this is the PTSD of being a Padre fan. Okay, so we're going to have, you know, Matt Carpenter play left field while he plays right field and Tatis in center. You know, it's just, I, I, I think, you know, and we see all these other guys going off the board. Some of the people that we want, you know, the, the Padre fans were hoping to get, the Jung Ho Lee, um, Altani, well, I don't think wasn't even in the picture. Um, uh, Seth Lugo signing with the Royals was interesting. I, I thought maybe there was a chance he'd come back, but yeah. you know, then once you see the money that he signed for, it's like, you know, I don't know if the Padres were wanted to give him three years and 15 million. And, and then the same thing with Jung Hu Lee. I mean, he signed for what was it? 19 million a year. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you give that to somebody who's unproven. Um, you know, his, his, con- his profile, a good fielder, good contact hitter, but not a lot of power. So how do you, yeah. How do you extend that kind of a contract? So I, I, I don't know, you know, but then everybody's out there looking at, okay, well let's just pencil in uh, Jacob Marcy to be the starting left fielder. And I'm like, yeah, right. wait, 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 right. Whoa. The, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Pump the brakes, dude. Pump the brakes. Yeah. Um, I, You know, and it's funny having him sign uh, for the, and the giants, like that's a big ballpark. Like I don't expect to see that guy hit, even when he's acclimated to major league pitching, I, he may not hit 20 home runs in a season. Um, you know, m- not playing at, at PNC Park or, or uh, Pac Bell Park or goddamn, what's it called now? Oracle. Oh, right, right. AT&T, whatever they call it. <laughs> um, but, we, you know, so I, I have, uh, I put in here in Preller We Trust. Like, I, I know it's not going to look like what we want it to be, but by the end of the offseason, we're going to have full outfield, a full bullpen, a full starting rotation. It may not look pretty. Everyone's already starting to go, well, what if we punt this year? I, we're not punting, dude. No, we you, may don't not- punt with, you don't punt with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Zandy, Xander Bogarts no. on your roster. That's no. silly. And I certainly don't think we trade, you know, God damn, who is farm? No, it's uh, Giannis. You know, he, he seems to bring up these topics and everyone seems to gr- grab a hold of him. Trading... Hassan Kim is, I don't think is an option. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised what Preller does. Um, I hope he doesn't trade off some of the, you know, too many of the minor league guys to get what we need. I think that's going to happen. Um, I just don't see you know, trading Hassan Kim, even though his value is at the highest right now. Uh, makes sense. Doesn't make sense. Well, I, you know, I'm kind of on the other side of that, of that debate. I, 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 you know, so too much Morton's Jonas, whatever his name is, Andy got a poodle on t- on Twitter. He's a pretty bright guy, and I, I tend oh. to agree with his with his arguments for the most part. And this one, you know, so you've got Hassan Kim, who is a second baseman, but he can play 
gold glove shortstop. And there's a lot of value in that. Is is he going to be shortstop for the Padres? Mm, Probably not. You got Xander Bogarts over there. Maybe they switch spots, but you can, if you trade him to the Marlins for a couple of arms, or you trade him up to Seattle, or there's teams out there with a need that, that would be willing to pay a a nice price for him. And then you've got Jake Cronenworth, who is not, as valuable as a first baseman as he is right. at second base. He doesn't profile all that well at first base. You can go out there and pick people up off the scrap heap to go play first base. It's a lot harder to find somebody to play center field or to find a right. good starting pitcher. I, 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 I kind of, I, I see the argument. I don't yeah. think if, if they wind up moving him, I think it would be more of a trade deadline kind of a thing because you do need to weather the storm at the beginning of the year where Manny is going to be uh, on the shelf at least part-time. You know, I figure yeah. he's going to be DH only the first month of the season. So you got to move guys around, and that's that's another place where Kim's glove comes in handy. I, I don't know. But what I keep going back to is the timing. We're here, what, it's December 13th, um, and I was looking back. The, the Darvish and the Snell trades happened right after Christmas. Okay. Last year, he signed Seth Lugo the in the second half of December, and then Waka wasn't signed until February. There's a lot of time to get these deals done. Yeah. So I it, it's it I looked on, on fan graphs, they have the roster resource, and you go and you look at the depth chart, and it's just it's scary. <laughs> they yeah, got I, they got Cal Mitchell penciled in as the starting left fielder. Uh it's and then you look at the depth, the the pitching depth chart, and there's a bunch of guys on there that really have no business being on a major league roster on opening day. Yeah. But it's not yeah. going to be like that come March. There's so much that's going to change between now and then. It's just hard as a fan to look at it and and be um, you know, be realistic about it and have right. the patience. Right. And and then now there's is there a question of, of how much money we do have to spend? Is it 28 million? Is it 40 million? Are we going to touch up against the next CBT? Um if so, what does that look like? Uh, I don't think we get it done with 28 million, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not sure what we have to get toward um, just under the CBT, but if it's 28 million, we are, you know, maybe I'll have to backtrack a little bit there with maybe we are a little bit in trouble. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's where you make a couple of trades and you find yeah. something, but even then you, okay. So let's say you trade a few prospects and you bring back Randy or Rosarena or, you know, some of these flashy guys, well, they're making money on the arbitration scale yeah. and that eats, that chips away at that, whatever that number is. <sighs> it's, 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 it's a trying time right now to be a, a Padres fan, but we become spoiled. We have, we're, you know, it wasn't we... that long ago that we were looking into AAA <laughs> and looking at like, okay, Carlos Osuaje right. and Jose Perella. And these guys can, can, they can be the foundation. Like we're trying to find, yeah. You know, try to find the silver lining. And now I feel like we've come the other way around. It's like people forget that you got three MVP players in the middle of your order already. And that's what you have to build around. We never had that before. No, absolutely. Uh, you know who's nice to be right now? And it's been kind of fun to see the Kansas City Royals. Holy cow. With, with you know, Luga going over there with Marcus Stroman. Uh, talking about Marcus Stroman going there. Oh, oh really? Um. Like they're quietly putting together a little bit of roster, and it's nice to see with those guys. They got some young talent that's got a couple years in the bigs. You know, um, Bobby Wood Jr., a couple of other guys can't take it off the top of my head, but it's good to see those guys make some moves. It is, it is, and you have Pittsburgh's doing some interesting things, and they're that's this time of year. And yeah, yeah okay. So again, with the timing, somebody pointed out Rowdy Telez signed some 
bargain basement deal with the pirates for $3 million, whatever. And somebody's like, why couldn't the Padres do that? And, okay. Let's he got look at GFA'd it. Last right. year. Like, right. He got dropped. Right. So why is he signing a contract in the middle of December for that? If he thought he was better than that, then don't you think he'd be working for a better contract right now? Right. So the deals right. that are coming off right now, these are guys that are looking for work. They're happy to take whatever offer they can find. Not necessarily the ones that are, you know, that the people are competitively shopping for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and with Telez, you know, you, he agree. Hell yeah. I'll work for $2 million. Heck yeah. Yeah. It beats, it beats going to play an indie league ball or, you know, yeah. try, try to move Set on in the, the minor league deal career. Just, uh, to a contender. Yeah. There's now that's, that's the side that I like to start following. It's a little early for that, uh, but we are seeing some guys signing minor league deals with the invite to major league spring training. I saw Jorge Alfaro just got signed by the Cubs today. Yeah. So good for him moving on to the next chapter, whatever that's going to be. Um, it's, uh, so depth, you know, last year we were talking about, Oh, the Padres, they look like they finally have good depth and it, it wasn't, it was kind of a mirage. Right. And so they really need to put in a lot of work because like I said, the guys that are on that depth chart right now on the, the 25 man roster that belong on the bottom of the 40 man roster, they need, we need to bring people in to shove them down, but then also behind them, you need people that are going to be there to come up and fill in the gaps because I'm not going to look at Adam Mazur and Jairo Iriarte as the next line of defense. I want those guys to be a few people back in the depth chart. I don't want yeah. them getting called up before they're ready. Same thing goes for Martarella and Marcy and Polly and, you know, all of those guys. Yeah. yeah. I don't want, I don't want to call them up before their time has come. Right. And that's one of the things that, other organizations do so well, like the Dodgers, like the Rays. They keep the guys in the minors till they absolutely need them, and they are ready. Um, the, the pitching that the Dodgers have, you know, some of that stuff finally came up to the surface this last year, but they were in, you know, they've been developing in the minors for years. So the reason why they have one of the top minor league systems is simply because they keep them down there, and they don't need to bring these guys up. They cherry pick when they need a start here, a start there. I can't remember any of the guys um, off the top of my head again, but uh, that's one of the things that makes a hallmark of a great organization is having that minor league depth that is pushing, uh, is pushing its way to the major league level. Right. And so to do that, you need to give the guys the time to really yeah. mature and show that they're ready. And, I, you know, Preller's MO, he gets guys up to double A and then they look talented and they're trade chips. And I really hope that that's not the case with these guys because you know, we've been following them. You, you become yep. familiar with them. You become fond of them. You start to see yep. that, Hey, there's something here and you want to see them make it with the Padres organization. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it takes patience. It takes a it whole lot of patience. patience. Well, speaking you of know patience, what, you know what else takes patience is taking care of a puppy. My gosh, this little girl is all over the place right now. <laughs> all right. So for you guys, we didn't mention in the very beginning here. Um, we have Robbie Snelling on uh interview coming up. I don't know, I would say on the line, but no, we have a Robbie interview, uh interview coming up. We talked to him for like 45 minutes. God, and, it's such you know, an excellent interview. Yeah. What, what He's a comfortable, laid-back guy, but I also appreciate the insight that he gave into the changes that he made, the adjustments that he made to get better throughout the season. And as you think about it, he's 19 years old. This is his first year in pro ball, yeah. and he's come so far. I feel like we've been talking about him all year, about all these, you know, every week he's striking out guys and, and all this, but 
he was making adjustments and improving as the season went by. And it just gives you an idea. This is just the tip of the iceberg with this guy. Right. Right. And he wants to learn. He's teachable. He, you know, and he's teaching others. He talks a little bit about uh, Ethan Salas when Ethan Salas came up and he's, and you know, Snowy's got this long notebook of hitters and he's like, yeah, dude, you need to do this. <laughs> like this needs to happen. Another one of those things about Ethan Salas, you keep hearing all this, how great he is, how great he is. He's still uber young has uber amount of development to happen and um it, it's going to only be accelerated with guys like Robbie Snelling and working with the guys that are you know that are developing yep so we've got that interview coming up for you right here so kick back here's our interview with Robbie Snelling what do I get oh what do I get oh. Robbie Snelling was drafted in the competitive balance A round, 39th overall out of McQueen High School in Reno, Nevada in 2022. After spending the rest of 22 at the complex where he developed a changeup, the still 19-year-old made 22 starts over three levels, compiling 118 strikeouts in 103 innings, narrowly missing being named minor league pitcher of the year to recently acquired Drew Thorpe. Robbie Snelling, welcome back to Friars on the Farm, man. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Hey, so I did notice you that you you posted the video uh, of the Drew Thorpe acquisition on your Instagram. You want to? Did you know him? Yeah. So I mean, uh, we we share the same agent, and um, you know, he's a California kid, and so just just out of that, you know, you're you're pretty centrally located, close to each other. Um, you know, so you gotta gotta kind of stick together for for that type of type of thing. Um, but yeah, no, we've we've had some some good conversations and even like when we were up against each other um, for, for the MILB pitcher of the year, you know, both congratulating each other just for being nominated. Cause that, cause that's a huge, huge accomplishment. Um, and, you know, that was, that's really where kind of got the ball rolling with, you know, just the, the conversation between us. And then, you know, once it got announced that, that he was coming to the Padres, he just, he was like, all right, let's, let's get to get to work together. It's going to be fun. So um, it's, it's pretty good, pretty cool to have him. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. Dude, that double A rotation is going to be just filthy. <laughs> it's just yes. Yeah. Nasty. Um, and then I noticed last night that you, you know, you're talking to a bunch of kids uh, with, uh, Butch Bacala. Um, what was, uh, what was going on there? Yeah. So, so Butch is somebody that I crossed paths with, um, during the travel ball circuit, you know, growing up and, and doing that, doing that thing. I played for a travel team down in Southern California. Um, the start of my seventh grade year, I started doing that, you know, all the way throughout high school and, and Butch has had a lot of titles, worked in a lot of different places and in the baseball world has a lot of connections. And that's just, he's somebody that I sparked a, a really good relationship with and, um, somebody that I enjoy being around and, and that has done nothing but supported me. And, and, you know, he brags me up and it's, it's a great person to have behind your back. And so, um, he, he asked me if I would come down and speak to his travel ball teams last night. And that was down in Rockland, California. Um, and, uh, so made the drive down there from Reno and, and gave that little talk to him. And it was awesome. Great turnout, about 40 kids, 35 to 40 parents. And, um, it was, it was a great time. So did you, uh, were you faced with any weird questions? Did anybody kind of stump you on any questions there? Yeah. I mean, uh, there was, there was one question in particular that it was really kind of tough for me to answer something that, 
you know, I'd never really dealt with myself. So that's, that's what made it, made it tough to answer. Um, and it was a player question. He asked, you know, and in, in this day of you have a trainer and then you have your, your specific high school team that you play for, um, you know, sometimes not everybody sees eye to eye. And so, you know, he has, he has a trainer telling him one thing and a coach telling him the other. And he asked me like, who do I listen to? And I mean, that, that was tough. Cause I'm not going to try and tell a kid how, you know, how he should, who he should be listening to and, and how he should go about his career because, it, you know, that's, that's your own journey. And um, so I, it took me a second to answer him and I told him I'd get back to him. And finally, when I did, I just said, you know, I've been lucky enough to not have been in a, in a situation that, that is, you know, that ended badly in that way. But, um, you know, you got to just listen to, to, whoever you think has your best interest in mind and is, is most, most focused on, you know, your success in your career. Yeah. I would think both, both have, you know, their best interest in mind, but you know, the high school coach needs to win ball games and, yeah. and the trainer just wants you to be a really good ball player. So exactly. there's, you know, they both have your best interest in mind, but one has more kind of to lose or, or to gain from, yeah. from, from any kind of question that you, that he may ask you to do. Exactly. You know, that that's an interesting angle because yeah. okay, so you're you're playing minor league ball and your ultimate goal is to make it to the next level ultimately to the majors. Not necessarily right. to win today's game, to win a championship for the Storm, the Missions whoever. Um do you find that the competitive juices are a little bit different being in the minors versus where you were travel ball or, or playing high school? You know, I I feel like one thing that that has helped me be the pitcher that I am is that I mean, when I'm on the field and I'm pitching that day, I just I just want to win. And and with with that kind of mindset, I feel like that puts me at my best chance for success throughout the entire season. So, you know, obviously it'd be it'd be awesome. And it's great to see your other buddies that are starting pitchers win. But I mean, I'd be lying if I told you that it wasn't a little bit a little bit more hard pressed on myself on my day that I'm pitching that I, I just say, Hey, I, I'm going to do everything in my ability to win this game today because that's going to be a good look on the team and, and a good look on myself because that means that I did my job and I had a successful day. So. Yeah. Just see guys get on base with you. It just, it, it turns, you know, we talk about the bulldog that comes out and you, when you get a couple <laughs> guys on base, man. Yeah. And yeah. they stay there. Like, rarely do you let too many runs in. Um, yeah. So before, before we go any further, you're still 19 years old. Your birthday is next week. So, yes, sir. From us, happy birthday, man. Happy Thank 20, you. Happy birthday. You. I appreciate it. So you've got the Christmas birthday. Do you, uh, did you grow up having everybody kind of combo the the birthday presents together, or did they, I mean, some of the, to... some of the family, yeah, some of the family that I don't see too often. My parents always did a pretty good job of of separating them, and so you know, I still got the birthday and, and Christmas presents. But um, you know, most I don't really have any family that that lives you know remotely close to me. Most of them are in California and Idaho and in different areas, so don't get to see them as much as, as much as I see my parents, obviously. So, um, you know, once, once I do see them, all the gifts are coming in at one time. So, <laughs> Hey, do you still have the Raptor? I do. I do. Yeah. Did it, did it make it out to Fort Wayne? Did it make it out to San Antonio? It did. It, it made it, it made it to all the different stops. Fort Wayne was a little delayed shipping from Lake E, you know, right. that was, it was about two weeks late just from a, I don't know something got screwed up in the, in the trucking, but, um, 
you know, I, I got it at, at every stop that I made. So it, it got to make the rounds with me. Dude, yeah, I think that's that's part of the new labor agreement that the teams are taking a little bit better care. And that's that's an example of that, that they're, they're willing to help ship your stuff. Because we've heard stories about like dude's girlfriend driving his car across yeah. country because he had to fly ahead. Yeah, and they just jammed everything in the car. And now she's spending three days driving from A to B. Thank goodness exactly. you don't have to do that anymore. I know. I'm I'm very <laughs> thankful for that. Um, another thing I found out from your high school, you broke the Sean Estes strikeout record. At McQueen. I did. Yeah. Did you grow up a Giants fan? I did. Yeah. Uh, my grandparents on my dad's side are from San Francisco. So, uh, you know, Giants fans when, when we were growing up, the funny thing is, is like right before the draft, um, I, the week before the draft, the Sunday before, uh, I flew down to San Diego to meet with the Padres and I was up in the box with, with AJ and, and all the, all the higher ups and I was meeting with them and they're playing the giants and I'm like, this is going to be tough. Like I'm not, I'm not affiliated to the Padres. I'm here to meet with them. Like, but the giants are my team. Like that's who I root for. And so, you know, I was up in the box and, and just, you know, talking, but secretly kind of watching both sides, rooting for, rooting for one side a little more. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it, it's, it was, a, it was a fun trip. I can see like, Hey, hey, Robbie, what, 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 hold on, hold on. Let me yeah. watch this step back, dude. Let me watch this. Yeah. The cool thing was, is Mackenzie Gore was pitching too. And so that was, that was pretty cool to see a young left-handed guy there throwing for the Padres. So nice. You can imagine yourself in that, on that mound. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so you grew up in Reno. Did you go to a lot of aces games? They're the Diamondbacks uh, affiliate. Your yep, whole yep. time coming up, right? I did. Yeah. So, I mean, another cool story about that. I watched Seth beer a lot when he was, when he was in Reno playing for the aces. And then, um, you know, this last year when, when we were playing Amarillo in the playoffs, I got to face him. And so, I mean, that was, that was something that was crazy. You know, I was like, I was watching this guy, you know, middle school, you know, early high school years. And and now I'm, now I'm pitching against him. It's, it's pretty surreal. Yeah. And he's made it to the bigs. How'd you do against him? Yeah. Yeah, I, I pitched pretty well against him. Um, I I think I struck him out on the on the first at bat, and then I don't really remember what happened after that. I don't that think he got a hit off of me though. <laughs> nice. And then Crow beamed him in the playoffs. That was yeah, it. he did. He did. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to the let's go back to the complex. Um, when you're transitioning your your body from kind of like a football into a kind of a baseball workout, is there more flexibility training there? You know, how did you kind of bolt down to get into a kind of baseball shape? Right. So it's, I mean, the flexibility has always been there. Like I'm, I'm flexible in the positions that I get into. The big thing that they were hammering with me was mobility. Um, and I mean, I, I really, once I got drafted, I thought flexibility and mobility were the same exact thing. Um, but, but they're not like you can be, you can be flexible in your hamstrings, but you know, if you're, if you're flexible in your hamstrings, you're not, you're not talking about mobility. You're not talking about your, your hip shoulder separation and that type of thing and, and creating torque in your, in your T-spine and, and doing that type of thing. Um, but I mean, that's something that they, that they really hammered with me was just my hip mobility. It was, yeah. it was pretty off just from, you know, like you said yourself, I was, I was playing football and I was, I was padding my body up and getting ready for contact. And then high school baseball would come around and, and I would stop doing my football workouts and, and kind of shed that, that muscle, but 
you know, the mobility was never really a, a huge focus. And so once I really started focusing on that, I just started seeing my, my everything just kind of my ceiling just rose. So through high school, were you used to that cycle of trying to like bulk up through the summer for football and then trying to lean up for the spring? Uh, so I probably wouldn't say that I got used to it until the end of my sophomore year. Um, and then, then I really kind of had it figured out. And so, um, but it was, it was kind of a, a learning curve for myself, just, you know, trying to figure out what was going to work best for me. Um, and then, you know, I, I was, I was taking football pretty seriously in high school. I wanted to go play in, in college. And so, um, I was making sure that my body was ready for football season. So I wasn't going to, you know, disappoint the, the coaches that were watching me and recruiting me. And I was, I was still going to have those offers coming in and, and being successful on the football field. And then as soon as football is done, you know, you're just, you're 180 everything and just in yeah. changing your whole workout routine, um, running a lot more, you're changing your diet, which is a huge thing. Um, and it was, it was tough, but, you know, junior and senior year, I really kind of had it figured out to, to the point where, it, it didn't hinder me. I didn't feel like, um, you know, when the, when the important baseball games got into, into like playoffs and, and late in season. So, man, that's a lot different from those days. I was <laughs> loading up on bean burritos and pizza rolls and stuff. Right. So was it just football and baseball or did you play any other sports growing up? Uh, I played. So my dad started me with golf, um, which paid off now that I'm, you know, just pitching cause I get to golf all I want now. Um, but uh, other than that, I played basketball and uh, wrestled a little bit, um, but but really the the main sports were were football, baseball, and basketball. And then I stopped playing basketball once I got to high school. Do you, do you keep a handicap in golf now? What's your what's your handicap? Yeah, I do, like? I do. I'm probably a three right now. I would say that I got pretty close to scratch during the season when I was playing three or four times a week, but kind of kind of slowed down a little bit since the season stopped. Oh man, what what was your track in Lake Elsinore? Uh, who, what did we go to? Menifee, Menifee Lakes is in Temecula. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We would, we would go there a lot. Um, (laughs) which I mean, that's, it's not a goat track. It's, it's more of a muni course. So, I mean, once you, once we got to, to Fort Wayne, I was playing some, some nicer courses and playing Cherry, Cherry Hill and, and, uh, those courses. So that was, that was pretty fun. Who was your golf? Golf golf isn't cheap. I, no, it's not. (laughs) Who are you playing with? Who? Uh, so I play with a couple other starting pitchers. I mean, Dylan Lesko loves golfing, so I would go with him occasionally, even though during the season, I, I was never at the same spot as him. Once the season got done and we were in Arizona for, uh, our strength camp that we had in November, we were golfing a lot. Um, but I would go with, uh, Cole Paplum, Thomas Balboni. Um, who else? I'd go with one of the catchers, Colton Bender in yeah. uh, Fort Wayne. We would go a lot and andrew vale uh, it was a big mix of guys <laughs> roy's a big golfer that's why i'm kind of laughing and kind of let, letting him take that stuff yeah right. we're gonna have to have a whole a whole different segment <laughs> on golf someday we can do that <laughs> all right so you know in, in elsinore dude you just dominated and you know did did you start with a pitch mix in the beginning of the season and then move off to something else or did you kind of, as you kind of went along, did you focus on other pitches and try to develop more uh, to see where that pitch mix worked? Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, it was, it was pretty dominant from the, from the start in Lakey. And I, and I knew what I was going to throw the entire time. If like, while if I stayed there the entire season, I knew it was going to work. Um, 
so really towards the end when they started kind of priming me to, to start moving up the, the affiliates towards the end, you know, they started focusing on, you know, you got to throw your change up more. You got to throw, all right, you're, you're not going to be able to throw fastballs in every count. You're going to, you know, mix things in. You're going to start with a change up. You're going to throw a breaking ball more and just kind of pick and choose in specific counts and, and be more selective with the pitches I was throwing instead of just overpowering with fastball and, and breaking ball. Um, and really just kind of refining, you know, a pitch arsenal and, and really separating the pitches from it, from each other. So they played off of each other. I would imagine being a pitch, a power pitcher in high school, you were able to get by with just kind of going at whatever you felt like throwing and not really having much of a plan to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in high school, I, I only threw a fastball and, and curveball. So there was, there was never really, you know, a need for a changeup. And, and that was, I wouldn't say it was a knock on me, but that was the, the one thing that once I got drafted, it was like, Hey, you're going to have to figure this out. So, and at that point I didn't even have a grip on a changeup that, you know, moved the right way. It was, it was a cut changeup. And uh, so, I mean, now, now we got it to the point where I love throwing it. Once I got up to double A, I, I threw it a lot and, and it was, it was a pitch that I had success with. So I'm excited to see how that rolls into this next season. Okay, so I've heard that a changeup is something that pitchers have a relationship with, good and bad, messing with different grips, different different release motions. Um, so, do you had did you have much of a journey to find the changeup that you have now? Yeah, I probably went through six different grips on on trying to find out which one was going to work the best and you know what was comfortable in my hand because like everybody, you know, changeups just going to get guys off of your fastball. So. Um, and, and it's a unique grip for everybody, but however you can and can hold it and get it to do what it's supposed to do, it doesn't matter how you hold it. So that was the thing that I had to figure out was like, hey, I, I look at all these videos of these guys holding it that way. That might not be how I'm going to hold it. And so once I once I found a grip that worked for myself after, you know, about six six times of, of throwing and and weeks on end working and, and seeing if it was going to work for me or not we finally found one. And, and so that's, that's a pretty good feeling when you don't have to go into a week and be like, all right, what grip am I going to try this week? So, so, okay. So how do you, how do you hold it and what does it do? Um, so right now I'm holding it kind of seam shifted and I'm working more off of my ring finger than anything else. So is it, is my, it like a circle or a Vulcan or it's, it's more of like, I don't have a baseball in here. Surprised. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But it's it's more of like I would call it kind of a it's more of a Vulcan. But I mean, my thumb is on the on the very bottom of the ball, um, wow. and it's just it's it's literally it's just my my ring finger and my pinky that are resting on the ball, and it's just coming out that way because I don't pronate well. I supinate really well, and hence that's why I throw my breaking ball and my my slider really well. But I, I just can't, I can't pronate. And that's the one crazy thing about Dylan Lesko because he throws such a good changeup and you're like, Oh, this guy throws a good changeup. Let me ask him, like, how do you, how do you throw it so well? I don't know. I just do this. And that's the thing that that's, that's what makes him so good is that he can't, he can't explain to you yeah. how he does what he does. And so, um, you know, that's, that's something that I was like, cause I roomed with Dylan for the strength camp and, and post draft and, and all of those different things. And, you know, I just had to stop asking him how he did things because he's just, he's a freak athlete. So he just, he just does them, does things how, you know, his body wants to. 
Yeah, I saw a thing with the with the Pedro Martinez a while ago, and I mean everything he threw was just so filthy. But his yeah. changeup was otherworldly, and he's talking about how involved his pinky is and all this. Turns out he's double jointed. And that's part yeah. of why he was able to get the ball to do the things he was able to get it to do, because just biologically, his his body did things that most of us can't. Yeah. All right. So I got a baseball now. Nice. Oh, there we go. Yeah. It's kind of works along with the seams and it's just coming off. So like if you look at it, it's literally just my ring finger and pinky on the top of it. And it just comes out that way. Super easy. So I don't even I don't even have to focus on pronating, really. I just have to feel like I'm pulling straight down. And the the baseball does its own thing. Does it does it tumble and drop, or does it have a little bit of arm side? There's a little bit of arm side movement to it. Lefties, I'm a lefty. There um, you go. Okay, so hey, hitters have a ton of information uh, on the pitchers. Do you guys get a ton of information on the hitters? We do, we do. So we have a, a website we use called Base Tech, and and we got all the video on there and a breakdown of of how hitters hit against certain pitches. I mean, if if you're wondering about, uh, you know, data that we need on hitters, if you're a pitcher that's like, hey, can I get this? It's going to be available to you, which, I mean, that's that's been the amazing part for myself is just sometimes, you know, you have to focus on making sure that you're not taking it into account too much, like overthinking the fact that, you know, I have all this data available to me. You don't need to use all of it. Right. You just need to use the stuff and, and find the stuff that is the most important to to how you pitch. Okay, so moving up to Fort Wayne, dude, you just continue to dominate. It, you know, it seems like every week we're like, okay, here's Robbie Snellen gets a whole segment because we're just going to, he just threw, you know, t- nine strikeouts and two hits and just, um, did you if, did you feel more confident more in your secondary pitches as, as you're seeing better competition and you're still kind of getting the same results? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, my first, mm. my first start in Fort Wayne was kind of a wake-up call for myself. It was just, you know, I think they put up four runs in the first yeah. inning. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm sitting there and I'm like, like, is this really what it's going to be like the entire time I'm up here? <laughs> and, and so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of doubt, but then after that, I, I think I went, I think I threw six innings that day and, or it might've been five. And I think the next, next four or five innings that I threw, they were all shut out and I ended with like nine or 10 strikeouts. And then I just came back into the dugout and the guys were like, it's just the baseball gods. That's, that's all it was. The ball just wasn't falling. And you know, it's, it's different pitching there. Like I, I wouldn't say that I got comfortable in low A and, and brought that into the first inning in high A because I knew that it was going to be better baseball. Yeah. I just think that I needed to make, you know, I had to, I had to focus a little more and, and make tighter adjustments than, than what I was used to doing. And, um, I was, I was pretty happy and, and proud of myself for being able to make it in that, you know, half inning of, of adjustment and then going back out there and, and rolling after that. So, you know, we talked to we talked to Jacob Marsey, and he's like, because we, we talked about, hey, do you do how was the pitching in high A compared to double? He's like, I, I saw better pitching in high A. Yeah, he, no, that's what that's what all the hitters like. I mean, I talked to Graham Pauly a lot, like that. He was my roommate for the entire time in in double A on the road, and uh, I mean, he would say it all the time. He's like, dude, the the pitching in high A is just way better than what it is in in double a and and i'm thinking that that is is partial to the fact that like you got guys that throw 100 miles an hour in high a sometimes they don't know where it's going and then you got guys you got guys in double a and it's like you know it's going to be a strike at some point and so 
you, you can swing and you can swing hard. And, and when you do that, you're going to be a pretty good hitter if you know it's going to be a strike majority of the time. So what was, did you have any takeaways from your time in the Midwest league with any like lessons you gained out of that? Yeah. I mean, so like, likewise to what the, what the hitters are thinking, I thought that, that pitching in, in high was a lot easy. I mean, a lot harder than what it was in double a. Um, and that's just because you're getting, you're getting reaction swings sometimes. And those reaction swings can sneak through a hole somewhere. And I felt that when I was in double a hitters had a lot better of an approach. And if they're up there sitting on a fastball and you spin a breaking ball, no matter if it's a strike or not, unless it's a two strike count, you know, they're going to take it majority of the time. And if it's a two strike count, they're going to just try and foul it off. They're not trying to put it in play. They're just trying to, you know, waste a pitch and get to the next one for them to not guess, but, you know, have, have stick to their approach of, of what they had. Um, and so, you know, I thought that, that from that aspect, high, high was a, a lot harder than what double A was. You know, they say in the minor leagues, you, you pitch to your strengths and in the majors, you pitch to the hitters weakness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so we made four starts in Double A uh, with a postseason start. Dude, at nineteen, uh, person, who were your roommates in? You, know, you had Polly in in uh, in Fort Wayne. I had I had Polly in Double A, um, Fort Wayne. My roommate was Carter Lowen, and nice. um, well, when I first got to Fort Wayne, it was Adam Major and Ryan Berger and Carter Lowen, and then Adam and and Berg got moved up. Then it was just me and Carter, and then um, yeah, Polly in Double A. And then at home, um, I was in double A. I was room, rooming with Salas and Seth Mayberry. And then in, in low A, it was me and Ian Koenig, um, who he and I had a great relationship. And I was, that was, I mean, I was so upset when he, when he blew his arm out that, yeah. that was a, that was a blow to, to me because he was my golfing buddy also. Um, mm. and, uh, and then once he left, I got Andrew Vale and Henry Williams, and David Morgan in in Loe, and then um, and then T- Tyler Robertson also in Loe. So like there, were, those there guys was, were on the podcast. I, <laughs> I know, I know. It was a it was a really good group of guys coming through that apartment. Yeah, you know, Carter Loe is one of my favorite. Oh, you go ahead. Who does most of the cooking? Uh, there wasn't a lot of cooking done. We we ate out a lot. DoorDash DoorDash <laughs> accounts were expensive. We'll we'll say that. Um, I did I did cook occasionally. Like we made a Costco run when we first got to to Loe in in Cali, and I mean I I spent a lot of money at Costco, and I and I, I ate all that food, and it was just like it was easy stuff like chicken and rice and and chicken skewers and, and that type of thing and, and burgers. And we made those, but once that was all out and that probably, you know, with how we ate, that was, that was probably a good week and a half, two weeks worth of food. And then after that, it was just all DoorDash and, and eating out. So. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Carter Lowe and I want to give him a shout out. He's, we talked to him before he got hurt. Yeah. Uh, he's one of my favorite stories to follow this year after you know going through Tommy John and coming back. And Seth Mayberry is another one of those guys that's been through the grinder. So yeah. um, I'm glad that you got roomed not only with guys that are you know young and on the way up like you, but also people that have kind of been around the block a little bit and yeah, kind of had some diversity. Give you a different perspective. Absolutely, on absolutely. Yeah, no, they they taught me some lessons that you know I wasn't going to be able to do on my own and so you know and that comes with the experience that they have so I was I was very thankful to be able to have those guys with me all right dude so you made four like I said again before you made four starts in double a at 19 
Um, including a postseason start. Dude, including a postseason start. You know, looking back, did, did you know, where did you find in double A that, that kind of surprised you? I, I guess. I don't know. What do you think when you're 19 years old and you're playing double A and you're dominating in double A? It was uh, it was pretty crazy. I mean, it kind of just puts it like you, you get there. Well, first of all, you break camp and you get to low A and you're like, man, I'm a I'm a long ways from the big leagues <laughs> still like, you know, San Diego's 40 miles down the road from me, but I'm a long ways from the big leagues and um, you get to high A still kind of the same thing. You're like, all right, like there's been a few guys that have been called up to double A and then they get called up to the big leagues from there. But like you're still a good you feel like it's a good two or three years away right. from, from being in the big leagues. And then mm-hmm. you get to double A and it's like, you're on the door doorstep of, you know, getting called up. Somebody gets hurt. You, you can get the nod that day and, and get up there. Um, so that was something that was crazy and, and something that, you know, I wasn't nervous about, but I had to kind of calm myself down a little bit and say, Hey, like, we're not going to put all our eggs in one basket. You're, you're here and you're going to continue doing what you did you know, throughout the entire year, just don't change anything. And that was the thing that I think surprised me the most was I did continue doing what I was doing and it was still successful at that level. And so, um, I think it just speaks volumes to the, to the coaching staff that I had around me and the consistency and like the, the communication of the, the strength and conditioning staff that I had going up through all the levels and communicating, Hey, this is what Robbie does. This is what he needs on, on this day, according to my start days. And, you know, and the pitching coaches and and everything that everybody on the staff was doing um, just made it made the transition from each level so much easier. Yeah, you know, that's good to hear because a lot of you guys made that double jump this year. Um, <clears throat> and that so that's a testament to the organization communicating and collaborating, trying to, you know, keep everybody prepared. So Absolutely. I got your game logs pulled up and it seems like pretty much most games you were going five innings. A handful of times you went six, uh, but your pitch count, you you barely sniffed 90 pitches most of the times. One game you went 90, what, 98, but was there, were you, were you working with limitations? Were they telling you, you know, you're going to go this far, you're going to face this many batters? Um, so it wasn't batters wise. It was, it was a pitch count, which frustrated me a little bit because I'm a guy that, that wants a leash. And if, if I'm throwing like in the Wichita game, when I, when me and Ethan were, we had the no hitter going. And I think I ended that game at, at 89 or 90 yeah. pitches. And I, I was frustrated because I was like, I feel good. Like, just let me go. Like, not not just for me, but for, for Ethan behind the plate because he was doing a great job calling pitches for me. And I didn't want to leave that game mm-hmm. because we were in such a, in such a groove and, and just, you know, firing on all cylinders together. Um, but I mean, yeah, there there was a pitch count, which you know, in the in the long run, was is a smart smart decision. First first season, um, most amount of innings I've ever thrown by about forty innings. So I mean, that's 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 a big jump. And so um, I'm I'm thankful that they didn't press it a little bit. The one thing that I will say is that. My arm felt better at the end of the year than it did at the beginning of the year when I broke camp in Lakey, which, I mean, again, testament to the training staff that that we had, but also just for the arm care that that they had us doing and that I was doing for myself. So um, it was uh, it wasn't a case where you know I was hurting at the end of the year and I was like I I had no more innings in myself. I you know I would have loved to have you know snuck a few more innings in there. 
Yeah, you rang the bell pretty much every time it came yeah. up. You didn't have to take any. Uh, <laughs> they didn't skip any starts with you all season, huh? No, no. The yeah, the only start that got skipped was when our clubhouse exploded in low A. That was oh yeah, God. that was it. Yeah, I forgot about that. Right, yeah. that was like on the Friday night, right? Yeah, yep, Friday, and I was getting ready for my start, and boom. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Okay, so we only heard about this like third hand. Was it an actual explosion? Did you hear it? Yeah, so it was a it was a dry gas explosion. They were they were connecting a, a dryer, um, a gas powered dryer into our laundry room, and honestly, I don't know the whole story, but just the dryer exploded, and uh, it was it was scary. Oh my yeah. god! Because I'd heard that there was a fire, but I didn't I didn't hear anything about a boom. Oh, thank yeah. goodness nobody got seriously yeah. hurt. Okay, so you mentioned Ethan Salas, and he's somebody that obviously is getting a lot of press, but we haven't heard firsthand somebody who got to work with him on a because he he was with you step by step. How often was yeah. he catching your games, um, and what were you guys doing on like game prep and and strategy? So uh, he didn't start catching me in games until my last start in high A. Um, I would throw to him occasionally. I mean, he got to low A a little later, um, and I and I throw bullpens to him occasionally. Um, but we didn't really get to start working together in, in games until my last start in, in high A. And I mean, I'll, I'll say at the beginning, and I mean, he would admit this himself too. Yeah. There were, there were some things that, you know, that he did that frustrated me a little bit. And that was just, I'm, I was a huge preparation guy leading into the game. I'd, I'd take notes on the hitters before going into the game, you know, the week leading up um, for the series that we were playing and taking individual notes on each hitter, their tendencies, how they hit against every pitch that I throw. And we would have our pregame meetings and he he would come in and he didn't have any notes. And I'd get a little frustrated with it because, you know, you want to, you want to trust the guy and have, you know, ideas of of how to pitch to the certain hitters to bounce off of your catcher with in the pregame meeting. And, you know, the first couple of starts, I didn't feel like I had that. But once I explained that to him and, and had a conversation with him about it, like I said, I got to room with him in double A. Um, I mean, he he completely changed. He started taking notes and he he told me, he goes, I appreciate you telling me that because it made it way easier for me behind the plate, not just with you catching you, but but with all the other guys that I was catching and, and all the other guys that were on the staff and the relievers. He goes, it just it made life way easier. So, um, I mean, the strides that he made this year, was I, I could never imagine myself being in the position he was in at 17 years old. That's, I mean, that's, it's crazy to think that, that he was dealing with grown men pitching to him on such a high stage and yeah. he had so much poise that he did. Yeah. You know, and, thanks for sharing that. Cause we, yeah. you, you hear about, okay, the tools and how he, you know, how, how he looks receiving and, and this and that, but I've, that's what I've been curious about is the stuff off the field between games, you know, how, how does he interact with people? And then these lessons, because I mean, ultimately this is what you're there to learn and you only learn it by running into something. You know, you got to have somebody pull you aside and say, look, this is what you're doing and this is what you need to do. Um, so, I mean, it's great to hear that he, not only was he able to take that little bit of suggestion, but actually take it and run with it. And it made him better. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was happy to see it. Having a 19 year old tell a 17 year old in high A and double A how to, know, right? how to play elite baseball. I mean, that's yeah, just, no, that's the that's the, of riches. <laughs> that's the crazy thing too is like when I when I'm thinking it, I'm like, 
man, I got to tell him because it's frustrating the hell out of me. But at the same time, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm in the same position that he's in. Like, what what is it going to mean coming from a kid that's two years older than him? That's that's just, you know, is it going to stick or is he going to take it and be like, okay, like I got to, I got to change something, but he's so mature that, you know, he, he hears everything out and he's like, all right, like, I, I see what you're talking about. I, I need to make a fix to it. Okay. So That's, who taught you about, about taking the notes and the method that you've come up with? Uh, so my, my low A pitching coach, Thomas Eshelman, who just got done Edge. playing with the Padres. He's, he's amazing. He's, he was the best pitching coach that I had up until that point. Um, and I mean, he, he just told me, he was like, Hey, this is something I did. This might make your life easier. You don't have to do it. Um, and I think I kind of went a little overboard with, with what he told me to do because he was like, just look at tendencies of hitters. And and I just completely dove into the rabbit hole of base tech and, and, you know, <laughs> wrote down how hitters hit, what their average was against each pitch that I threw, um, how I should pitch to them in counts. And then I had all of that stuff written down and I come into the meetings and he's like, dude, this is too much stuff. He's like, you're, you're messing with your brain. He, he goes, you got to simplify it a little bit. Just go out there and pitch. Numbers don't mean anything. You know, sometimes you look at it and you go, this guy doesn't hit good fast, like hit well off of fastballs. Um, but he might hit well off of your fastball. And that's something that you have to find, you know, that's an in-game adjustment the second time through the lineup that you have to make. So um, he goes, you can't just rely on on your notes every time. He goes, it's, it's going to be there and it's a good cushion to have and a good starting block. But once you get into the game, it can be completely different. Yeah. I think that's where even, even in the major league level, they're still trying to figure out the the sweet spot in between using the technology and not overwhelming hitters and pitchers and, and using it for as a tool and not kind of, you know, and having it be valuable. You can have all this information, but if you're not doing, you know, if you're doing too much, you're kind of getting scrambled. If you're doing too little, you're not using it properly. It's still a balance, I think. And some of the better organizations, I think, find that sweet spot with the uh, using technology and stats. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. So, do, do you take some time off this off season? I did. I did. Uh, I got probably a good three three weeks to a month off, um, and it was it was much needed. I I enjoyed it for sure. Um, just being home with the family and with the girlfriend, and and being able to be home for the holidays. It's it's important for sure. Have you, uh, did you get a chance to go fishing? I did. Yeah. So, uh, we got a, a really good lake up here. It's called pyramid Lake. It's got, it's, it's known for, you know, world record cutthroat trout in it. So, um, been going up there a lot. The fishing hasn't quite turned on cause we haven't gotten the weather that we thought we were going to get, but you know, once it starts getting really cold down into the teens, the, the fishing is going to get really good. I see that trophy buck behind you. Have you been hunting at all? Yeah, that's a that's a that's an elk that my dad got. Oh, probably nine years ago, ten years ago. Um, yeah, so that was we actually got that in Nevada, um, which was that was that was a fun hunt. There's some pictures of it up here. I can show you guys. Yeah, I can flip my camera. Oh, dude, that's epic. <laughs> yeah. Wow, beautiful. For those of you yeah. at home, you see a picture of this giant stag and. Robbie's dad and little Robbie. <laughs> yeah, and then do you go by Rob then, or Robbie? Is it Rob or I Robbie? Go, or I go by Robbie. That's the buck that I got. That was my first buck that I ever killed. Um, wow, that was also in Nevada. But yeah, no, this is pretty pretty good trophy room. We got some turkeys up there. Nice. Um, but yeah, this is a good good hangout spot. 
<laughs> are you are you in Reno now? I am. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So going into this off season, are you making any adjustments in your in your workout in your throwing program? Are you kind of you know are you kind of not bulking up? Are you prepping up for even more innings this year? Um, so I think that the I mean we obviously with the dead period we haven't really talked you know about um, haven't haven't talked at all about what the what the inning limit is going to look like for next year. Um, I'm hoping that the inning limit gets raised a little bit. So kind of just getting ready for that. But really, I'm just trying to replicate what I did last off season because I mean it, it worked out pretty well for me, and and I don't really want to steer away from it. Obviously, hammering the mobility because the more I do that, it's it's going to be even better than it was last year. Um, and you know, getting stronger is just going to come with with maturity and, and aging as as I I continue playing. And um, so I'm not really trying to force that. There's no need to. And you know, just just enjoying the time, getting the arm moving and and working out. I have uh, I have Ray Kerr over here too in Reno. Nice. So, so I get to work out with him, um, and do that type of thing. So, you know, have the, have the guys around me still. What's the, uh, what's the throwing program? Like, are you throwing it all right now? You're ramping up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm throwing about three to four days a week right now. Um, just three catch days and my plyo balls. And then if I throw a fourth day, it'll probably just be plyo balls, just kind of getting my arm moving, getting it used to weight and, and endurance and that type of thing. So then right, what's dude. your schedule like between now and like, when do you plan on reporting and do you have any plans between now and then? Um, so from what I've heard that once the dead period is lifted on uh, January 2nd, I think is when it's lifted. Um, they, they'll give me a text and a call and just let me know when to come down. They said expect to be down there in early January. So um, we'll, we'll see what that means. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they don't call and they say, you know, on January 2nd, Hey, we need you down here tomorrow. So I'm hoping that that I don't get that call, but that's uh that's kind of the plan right now. We got a new new puppy in there. Is that what that is? Yeah, we uh, we we have a new puppy. I love it. Yeah, Hold on, I gotta show my I gotta show my girlfriend real quick. We just we just picked her up this weekend, and you know we can't come up with a name. We keep throwing names back and forth, and between know. between everybody in the household, we have a name. We haven't. So we, I think we want a name that starts with a D. Um, I'd like something you can shorten into like two syllables or something like that. But yeah. I don't know. We keep throwing different things around. But no, she's a she's a sweetie, but she likes to chew on everything. That's she amazing. Thinks she can eat the uh, the entire world. Um, but yeah, that's our new member of our family. That's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. I've been I've been I'm having having a little puppy fever right now. That's uh. That's that's something I got to get away from because I'm not I'm not in the market to to get a dog yet. So yeah, it's a big commitment, and right now, so I think my wife just brought her in here because I guess she was being too fussy out there. Yeah. So uh, now I get to I get to. I'm do a fine. Puppy I'm sitting. fine with staring at her. That's fine. <laughs> so that that the puppy fever is that a little hint hint nudge nudge to the girlfriend on the other side of the room. Yeah, maybe a little Christmas idea. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I see the you had the pointer hat. Do you guys have dogs? Do you have any hunting dogs or no? So I used to have a hunting dog. Um, he we had to put him down. He got pretty old. He was sixteen and just couldn't move anymore. So I had a yellow lab though. So that's what that's why it caught my eye. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm a lab guy for sure. And uh, right now I have a, a Springer Spaniel. It's more my mom's dog than anything. But she doesn't she doesn't do a lot of hunting. She's just a house dog. So. Um, <laughs> 
But my, but one of my buddies that I go fishing with a lot over at Pyramid Lake, he just got a black lab, uh, a little puppy black lab, and he's he's training her for to be a hunting dog. So that'll that'll be fun, dude. That's epic. That is so epic. We're we're older over here at my house, so it's it's cat. I got a cat. Yeah, there you go. Got we got we got a cat too. <laughs> we have a cat too. Um. All right, let's do, let's have some fun. This is a lot of baseball stuff. Um, okay. So you're, you're left-handed, but you bat right. Did you rake in high I do. school? I, I hit pretty well. Yeah. I, I said, uh, I was the, my senior year, I led the league in home runs. So, um, not, not too, not too much of a slump in hitting. So you so, gotta let one of the, you, when, when you get back to double a, like tell Raul Padron, who's been on the podcast, his friends of ours, like, let me get in that bat. Like maybe sometimes I might have to, I might know? have to. If I yeah. throw five no hit innings, I get one at bat the next year. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> at least let you take batting practice. At least let me take. Yeah, bit. exactly. At least let me take batting practice. Uh, uh, we've heard that that if they throw a shutout, they would let the pitchers take BP the next day. But that's back when, back when that's the guys what Zamo Zamo, so our our low A uh, manager, he he told all of us that he was like, if you guys throw, if the staff throws a combined shutout, pitchers can hit BP. And it never happened while I was down there. But then I guess it did happen one time, and he didn't stick to his word. So I don't know if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to have to talk to him about that. I'm hitting him up next year. Like, what's up? <laughs> Hold on, man. Um, okay, so do, you, do you, you, play, you, 20... you play golf right? You play golf right-handed too, though? I do. Yep, swing oh, golf okay. club right-handed. Uh, so you got 26 full-ride scholarships to play football. Yes, sir. How many did you get for baseball? Uh, honestly, I couldn't tell you cause it, they all kind of mixed in. So I started getting my offers for baseball at the end of my eighth grade year. So like the summer between eighth grade and, and freshman year. Um, and I mean, those offers were coming in, but it was kind of like, it was one of those things cause you're so young, obviously you can't talk to the colleges, like they can't call you. Right. And so it was like a middleman type of thing. And, and I'd have a coach tell me, Hey, you got to call this coach at this time. And it was just a lot. And I was like, I have no interest in, in like trying to chase that. And so all the offers would go to go to my pitching coach and he would just tell me, Hey, like this team reached out, they offered you. And then my sophomore year when football offers started coming in, you know, it started having baseball coaches from other schools going to the football office and saying, Hey, this guy's really good at football, but he's also really good at baseball. Like maybe we could both have him. And so then the football, cause football gives you a full ride and cause they have 80 something scholarships. Right. Um, and so, you know, the football, if football liked you, they'd reach out and, uh, they, they would talk to me and, and they kind of, they would have the relationship from that point. And they'd just say, Hey, baseball team loves you. We love you. Um, you have an offer here and, and you create that relationship with them. So real quick, Roy. So did you were roommates with Tyler Robertson? Were any of those, uh, offers from Alabama? No, none of them. No, oh, no offers damn, from Alabama. Oh. I talked to I talked to him for baseball, but I didn't. Coach Saban, <laughs> Coach Saban didn't like me for for football. I, I guess. Oh. All right, tell us the Hunter Pence story. Yeah, so that one's my dad told me that he told you guys that one. That was a that's a pretty cool one. So another like an Aces game that you we talked about earlier. Um, went to an Aces game. I can't remember what grade I was in. I was probably in sixth grade or so. And uh, he was making a rehab uh, start for the River Cats, and they were playing the Aces, and they came up here. And you know, you have all the fans in their in their Giants gear down on the on the line, and he's signing autographs and coming off the line from playing catch, and you know, walking over, taking pictures with people. 
and I'm standing probably 10, 15 rows up in the stands and just, just admiring it, just taking it in. And, and, you know, it's, it's cool to be in a presence of a, of a guy that's that well known and people are going crazy. And he takes the ball that he was playing catch with and he's like about to toss it into the stands and like, everybody's going crazy. There's probably a line three or four rows deep of people at the, like at the base of the stands. And I'm just standing up there clapping, waving my hand at him, um, calling for the ball. And he points at me, tosses the ball to me. And then probably this 50 year old guy jumps in front of me, takes the ball and uh. Hunter Pence had like started to turn and walk away, but he looked back and saw that I didn't have the baseball and he sees the guy walking away and he yells up into the stands, Hey, give the ball back to him. And so guy turned around, gave the ball back to me and Hunter Pence gave me a thumbs up. I was like, that, that was pretty cool. And then fast forward the summer after my junior year, going into my senior year, I'm playing in the perfect game, all American game and Hunter Pence is announcing and he's, you know, he's speaking on, I I think they had a broadcast of it or something, but he's, he's giving me the, giving the introduction of myself as I'm warming up to pitch. So I just, I mean, he, he has no idea that, you know, I was the kid that he tossed that ball to, but, but for me, that was, that's pretty cool. So you've pitched at Petco Park. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't throw well, but I've pitched at Petco Park. That's all good. It's all good. <clears throat> all right. So besides hunting and fishing, what else do you do to escape from baseball? Uh, really just hanging out with my family, my girlfriend. Um, I draw a little bit. I, I'm an artist. I like to, I like to think. Um, I took a couple art classes in, in high school. I always drew pictures growing up. Um, Are we talking like landscapes, portrait, still life? Um, so I drew a picture. One of our projects in, in high school was uh, human, like pictures of people. So I drew a picture of Saquon Barkley. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Damn, dude. Um, yeah, that's that's really the only one that I think I have hung up. The rest of them are kind of stuffed in a drawer somewhere so none of our guests can see them. Um, <laughs> but other than that. Other than that, there's there's not really much. I know my my parents told me that they told you that I am a singer, but I don't. I would. I'm far from that. I I am not a singer. That's that's parents being <laughs> proud of their child that they think that they're the best at everything. So, well, I, well, he also sent me pictures of you in ducks gear in ducks football uniform. Did boo? Yeah, I, I'm an Oregon State Beaver, so I got to get my, my piece in there. Uh oh, uh oh. Yeah, no, I I did. T- I took a visit to to Oregon when I was having all the 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 offers and and things for that. I had I had a lot of visits set up. Actually, I kind of I don't regret it, but I wish I would have taken them because the pictures and and just seeing like different states and different universities that was a really cool experience. Like, I got to go to ASU. I got to go to Oregon, like you said. I got to go to U of A and and see those schools and and do the whole tour. And when Jay Johnson left Arizona and went to LSU, he called me and he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I want to bring you with me. Like you, we got to set up your official visit. And so I went down to LSU when I still had a, a visit lined up with like Penn state and Texas and, yeah. and Auburn. And I had those visits lined up, but I got to LSU and it was just like, it hit me that that was where I wanted to be. And I just made the decision. I was like, Hey, I don't need to go see anywhere else. This is where I feel comfortable. So, um, I mean, I, I made the right decision for sure, but it would have been awesome to go be able to take those visits. Hey, that's a unique opportunity to get to go, yeah. you know, travel around and see some different places. Yeah, absolutely. 
So do you have any superstitions? Are you funny about numbers, habits, food, clothes? Yeah. So actually a lot of guys think it's funny. My, the, the food that I, my, I say it's breakfast. It's more of like, cause I wake up a little later on a start day. Um, but at about 10 o'clock, I'll wake up on my start day and I'll order Jersey Mike's and a Buffalo chicken sandwich. <laughs> and that's, that's my superstition for my, for my start day meal, which, uh, it's a little different, but I mean, that's just what I found works for me. Um, so I'm not going to change it. And I mean, I used to, I used to be superstitious about numbers, high school playing football. I was number four. And then I tried to get number four for baseball, but the Jersey was too small. So I had to settle for five. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that kind of, kind of threw the the number superstition out the window because, you know, I just, you, you put a number on my back, I'll just, I'll go out and, and play. It doesn't make a big difference to me. You know, Jersey Mike's is all over the place, but I, what if you're in a town that doesn't have Jersey Mike's like DoorDash available? Have, have you, have you looked into that? I, I haven't come into that, you know, that situation yet, thankfully. Um, I have thought about it though. And I think that Subway would probably either, it's like a sub, we have Porta Subs over here, which I like a little more than Subway, but I think that, I think that Subway would have to, you know, kind of take the place um, I think I would, ha- I, I would have to replace a sandwich with a sandwich. Right. So right. probably I, the closest one would probably be Subway. Interesting. That's so interesting. Okay. But well, now we're on still on the topic of food. Is it five guys or in and out? Oh, that's a good, I, I'd have to go with in and out In and outs a staple. Yeah. Yes. All right. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. My guy. Yes. <laughs> My girlfriend would disagree. She's an Italian, so she thinks I'm ridiculous when I order when I order pineapple on my pizza. Yeah, uh, my wife is Italian, same thing, and she looks at me like I'm crazy, but it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. I so said you just got to try it, and I think that they're just in denial. I think that's yeah. all it is. <laughs> all right, all right. So if you could jump in a time machine, who's one hitter, past, present, future that you would like to face? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um. I'd probably want to go back and face Ken Griffey Jr. Junior. I think kid. that that would, yeah, I think that that would be a lot of fun. That's very diplomatic of you because, you know, you're not very far off from facing yeah. your Aaron Judges, your J-Rods, your, you right. know, some of the, some of the big league guys. And I mean, none of those guys listen to this podcast, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. You never know. It might, it might be put on just randomly one day. <laughs> They'll be forced to listen to it. <clears throat> All right, so you're stranded on an island with food, water, and shelter. What are the three things that you can't live without? I'd probably go a fishing pole, mm-hmm. um, a dog, yep. and um, probably ooh, fishing pole, a dog. And you said I have shelter, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. food and shelter. Fishing pole, a dog, and I'd probably I'd have to go either a shotgun or a rifle, just a gun of of some sort. I think right. I think I can I think I can make to shoot the fish. Yeah, no, I know. You'll uh, you'll make do with something. Maybe a bird will land on the island. You never know. <laughs> there you go. All right, so if you can have a pet that's not a cat or a dog, what would you like to have? Sugar glider. That's a that's a dream of mine since I was oh, a kid. I think sugar are so gliders cool. are such yeah, I think they're such cool animals. Oh, what what oh what? It's it's you know, it's like a squirrel. It's related to a squirrel. It's a rodent, and they're small, but they've got a patch of skin between their front leg and their and so they okay, can. You're the flying squirrel. 
Yeah. Rock. Basically, so yeah, want... but it's tiny. Okay. It's like, it's right. about this big. Yeah. You put it in your shirt pocket. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, your dad also sh- said that you, you you shoot squirrels, yeah? Yeah, we have before, yeah. Okay, do you know how to dress a deer? Yeah, that's a, that's a must. Okay. For those you have to help out with that look like what is an idiot? Yeah, I did actually. That's that's a funny story. So, um, yeah, that that elk hunt that we went on, my dad shot the elk the night before, and the sun was going. He shot it from across the canyon, and so right as the sun was going down, and there wasn't going to be enough daylight to to pack it out that night. So um, we waited. Hopefully, we were hoping that the elk wasn't going to get eaten by a mountain lion over the night. So. Um, hiked back up the next morning cause it was cold enough to, to like preserve the meat. It wasn't going to spoil or anything. Um, hiked back up the next morning, four and a half miles, got up there, got in there, quartered up the elk, packed it out four and a half miles. I didn't drink any water and oh. I was, I, I was 10 years old, I think. And so, um, we get into the truck, we're driving home it's late and we decided to stay at a hotel for that night, but I fell asleep in the back of the car and I wake up with the worst cramps that I had ever had in my legs. And we're just, I'm, I'm dying from the cramps and you know, my, my dad's checking on me. Everything, everything is, and ends up being fine, get water and food in me. And my grandpa was on the hunt with us and he goes, I had always wanted to be a, a hunting guide when I was, when I was little and as like a side gig. And, he goes, do you still want to guide? You still want to guide for elk when you're older? And I was like, no, that's, that's stupid. I, I don't ever want to do this again. <laughs> hey, did you, so, so out there hunting, do you ever run into any bears? Um, so you'll, you'll see them occasionally, but most of the time they keep their distance. They know, they know you're there before you ever know that they're there. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they stay away from you. So ever since that experience, I'm sure you're big on hydration and bananas yeah. oh, and yeah. electrolytes and all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Is cramping ever an issue this year? <laughs> no, no, I, I never, never cramped. I mean, the only time that I would even, you know, come close to it was, you know, post start and the next morning, you know, after I, my body's just tired, muscles are fatigued and I'd wake up in the morning and do a little stretching and get a little side cramp or, or a calf cramp or a toe cramp or something. Okay. All right. So you're on American Idol. You're at the last the the finals. What song do you sing? I probably have to go with Lady May by Tyler Childers. Can you give us a bar or two? I don't think that I'm gonna do that and embarrass myself. <laughs> yeah. Good I'll answer. Give you, I'll give you the song and you can you can listen to it or choose not to, but that that's the song that I would choose. I gotta look at your girlfriend right now. Is she laughing right now? Is that what she's no, she's she's laying on the ground. I think she's hungry. All right. Okay. All right. We'll tell her we're almost done. We're 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 done. Yeah, we gotta no, get it's you all out good. of here. It's dinner it's time all for good. you. It's dinner time for us. <laughs> we appreciate you taking Dude. the time with us. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. All right, man. Well, hey, if we don't get a chance to talk to you before the season starts, what Rob Royal will be out there for spring training. Yeah. So if you absolutely. if you see him come up and say hi. You can big league him. Do that. That's that's kind of fun. <laughs> no, absolutely like, not. <laughs> hey, mate, real quick question. I want to ask this for, for people that always talk about going out to spring training. Um, if if people walk up to you, you know, you guys are standing around the field, like you guys are in the backfields, right? Standing around. Yeah. Y- you guys are okay to have kids come up to you and sign autographs. Yeah. Is that 
Yeah, I mean, as long like if we're if we're walking to a field, and I mean, I think that I don't know exactly how it works. I think that there's at the beginning of the day, there's like a pamphlet of like what the agenda is for that day. For right, right. I think it's for a big league camp um, that they do that. And so, like, I mean, I think it would be really smart because I feel awful when you know I'm rushing. If I had a workout at at nine forty five and it's done at, at 1045 and I have to be on a field by 1050 or 1055 yeah. and I'm sprinting out to the field and kids are like, can, can you sign this? Can you sign? I feel awful running by them, but like I have a job that I have to go get to. So like yeah. if we're not doing anything and, and we're walking really slow and like, you know, you look at the agenda and it's, it's 1030 and we don't have to be out there till 1050. Like I, there, I would, I would stop absolutely but i mean i i think that also differs for the people that you ask some because some guys you know they might be having a bad day and they don't want to sign anything um but but i try my best because like you never know i always put myself in this situation of like you never know how long somebody's gonna want your autograph like how cool how cool is that feeling that that somebody thinks you're so important that they need to have your handwriting and your signature on something of theirs so um i i do my best to to stop and and do my due diligence for those people. Yeah. I was just thinking about this the other day. Okay. So you're, I I don't know if you're going to get an invite to major league spring training, but even if you don't, you may get pulled up, you know, they call guys up every day. Have you thought about sitting in a locker room and looking over here is you Darvish and looking over there is Joe Musgrove and there's Manny Machado. Like you may have that experience in a, in a couple months. Have you thought about that? I've, I've definitely thought about it. Um, I mean, I, and I think it's going to be amazing. It's just going to be a great experience to be able to, to take in advice and just kind of sit back and, and watch. Cause I'm not going to be a person that, that goes up and, you know, introduces myself right away or, you know, does, does that type of thing. Like, you know, googly eyes at him. But um, at the same time, like, uh, I'm just going to sit back and watch and see how they do things because they're professionals. They've been in it for, for a pretty long time and they know what they're doing and they have their, their stuff down. And so, I mean, that's what I aspire to be like. I want, I think everybody wants to be in the situation that they're in. And so if I can just replicate what they're doing, I think I'll be in a pretty good spot. Yeah. I always love those shots that they put out at spring training where somebody's throwing a bullpen and there's Trevor Hoffman watching and here's, you know, somebody else just standing back. And it's like, that's just gotta be such a cool scene to be in the middle of that. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, dude. Well, I, once again, we really appreciate you uh, coming on uh, again for a little bit longer this time. Uh, good luck this season, man. I watched every start this last year, and I'll probably watch every start again this year. I um, love it. All the way up to your debut at Peco Park later on this season. I love it. Absolutely. I'm hoping so. What do I get? Oh, what do I get? Well, let me tell you how. What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? No love. What do I get? No sleep at night. What do I get? Nothing that's nice. What do I get? Nothing at all, 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 at all